Chapter 31 Supreme Among Them Till's fifth of the garden tower had fallen, mostly. Muted cries arose from the rubble spilling downhill from the tower. Highest Manson Flay stood at the newly formed ledge in his bedchamber and leaned out to peer into the still smoldering wreckage. His favored tugged his sleeve, urging him back. It's surely not safe to stand there, she said. He yanked free of her grip, but she was correct. Not only was the floor trembling, but the fell storm winds were capricious and pulled at him one moment and pushed him the next. Moving backward, he went to the broad desk where now were arrayed the mercosine relics he'd demanded. The various don'ts masters who'd possessed them had been vociferous in their objections, but Flay had simply stared them down. They didn't have much choice unless they wanted to be expelled from the order. The one god had surely been protecting Flay and this assemblage of relics, another sign that Flay, not the madman, was the true champion. He winced as a great burst of power coursed over the Mercus, another of Ebel's outbursts. Somehow the man had gotten free. Till's tower was destroyed, and hundreds of Donesmasters and acolytes were dead. He did note that the remaining fifths of the tower appeared to be unscathed, no doubt the one god's doing. Flay felt for the Mercosine sparks of those trapped in the rubble. There were a dozen or so, many too deep to be helped. Unless he could establish his force tap once again on the madman. But to do that would require the man to be quelled, and now that he was in the agonies of his full power, that seemed an impossibility at the moment. He had a more pressing problem. The stairways were gone. He could ascend to the roof, though, and with some effort he thought he might scale the wall to Ori's fifth. From there he could descend, assuming the sensuals in the tower would allow it. If they didn't, he would deal with them most severely. He did have some powerful relics in his possession now. He set about attaching them to his belt or stuffing them into a leather satchel. The jewelry he donned. A simple wide band of gold slipped over one finger. Known as Roop's Wild, it was a heller of general purpose, doubling the wearer's mercus power. Excellent. Next was a bracelet carved into the likeness of a crane, wings wrapped around his wrist and head and beak protruding over the top of his hand. It granted the wearer the ability to throw a gust of wind more powerful than the fellstorm gales that whipped his open chamber even now. The necklace was of three chains, one gold, one silver, one copper. The only known power it bestowed was a sort of protection from steel weapons. Fortunately, there were few blades of bronze or wooden bludgeons in use on the island. Besides, who would attack him with a blade? No one, but he'd rather have it than not. A slim wand that appeared to be made of bits of conch shell slipped into his belt. It was a simple light caster, but again, he'd rather have it than not. The wands from the vault remained in the vault, but the lantern would come along. He'd have a strong acolyte carry it. 
Unfortunately, the ideal man, the one who stood guard at the champion's door, had been crushed in the collapse. He'd find someone else. The crystal sword was too dangerous. He'd left it in the vault as well. Instead, he had chosen the dagger, a relic he'd kept in his office all these years, a shadline weapon, and one of the only such known to still be in the way's possession. When it pierced the flesh, it sapped heat from the victim. The effect was quick at first, freezing a victim in place as their limbs turned to ice. But the dying was slow. It was called bone chill. He dumped the remaining few heller rings and cubes into his satchel, along with the lightcaster relics. A plan was forming, though it lacked much detail. What he needed was that strange witch bolus the boy Henley had fed the madman on the sail to Garden Island. But that had all been used up. It gave him an idea, though. The sensuals must have more bark burners in their midst. He'd go to the home and hope anyone survived Eeple's rampages there. How exactly he would get the man to consume the concoction would be yet another problem to solve. But if enough Merculans were armed with Hellers, and if they would submit to being source taps under his control, perhaps he'd have a chance. The Sensuals did not interfere with his descent from their fifth of the tower. He was not the only man to have thought of it. Dun Quiv met him as he exited at ground level, where throngs of acolytes and novitiates milled about, all wondering what had happened. A wide section of the dividing wall between Till and Ori had fallen during the collapse, allowing him to move back into Till's fifth and scramble over the rubble. Quib followed, brow furrowed. Far off, the madman surged upon the Mercus while the fell storm began to throw sheets of rain over the world of flesh. Ragged donesmasters and acolytes picked through the crumbled block and stone of the tower, calling for survivors. Those strong in the Mercus could easily feel if someone with the spark lay buried alive within. Assemble all Merculans along the gap in the wall there, Flay ordered Dun Quiv. We must go collect our wayward madman. Quiv raised an eyebrow but didn't argue. A strong-spined sensual approached, face full of pity. Flay recognized her as sensual Harrison Min. She was powerful in the Mercus, but was not allied with fine and voluptuary cynict. That made her an enemy, which she surely knew. She had the round, sturdy body of a farm wife and clear blue eyes. She nodded and said, If your people need healing, I've got some girls with skill ready in the tower gate. Do you want help rescuing those buried? He forced a pained smile. It would be a kindness, sensual, I must take a party to subdue our... We will join you. Of course, you will expect us to submit as source taps, no? She was matter-of-fact. He thought she would make an excellent sister of the way one day, but doubted she would readily submit to the particular rules he intended to establish once the ways were united under the one God. I will indeed, he said. It does you credit that you offer to help us. He'll kill us all if I don't. 
Flay realized this woman was in command of the sensuals of the Garden Tower. Voluptuary Senect should never have left such an important post occupied by one who had not sworn allegiance to her. But this was no time for such concerns. Spare all you can, and what hellers and relics may be needful, he said, though bile stained his tongue merely uttering the words. She turned and began issuing orders in a low, calm voice. Novitiates scurried away, and sensuals bobbed their heads. Flay found himself irritated that such a woman had eluded his attention. But now that he was thinking on her, he remembered Dunquiv saying she had been the likely successor to the previous voluptuary. Dunquiv was pulling searchers off the rubble and getting them assembled. Flay noted the faint sparks and the ones remaining to find survivors were placed under the command of Dun Ups, a freshly raised donesmaster who wore a blood-stained bandage on his head. Three dozen men lay about in the rain, dazed or unconscious. The mangled bodies of the unlucky were being dragged downhill and placed into an orderly row. Flay turned away from the disaster and toward the ranks of Merculans assembling for the battle to come. He approached them, already feeling out the relative Mercus power among them, preparing to arrange them in squads of four, each with a captain. That captain would receive power from his team. Flay would receive the combined power from the captains. But none of this would matter if they could not get to the madman, and that would require a downhill trek to Ori's home while a fellstorm pounded the island. The men and women stared at him, most dazed, some furious. The men straightened under his gaze. The women's eyes narrowed. There was no trust there. But none disputed his right to wield the power, for he was supreme among them as highest. Novitiates streamed from the tower, bearing oil cloaks to ward off the rain. Most were too small for the men. All such gear possessed by the way of Till was somewhere buried in the rubble. Sensual Min approached, thrusting her arms through one such cloak and pulling the hood over her head. I shall begin a circle of my own, Highest. If you have any astute Merculans, they should study what I do. Before he could protest or even inquire what she intended, she began to receive the combined Mercus power of a dozen women. She formed bolts of heat and touch that bubbled up from her and soon encompassed all of those in her circle. Rain steamed from an invisible dome of Mercusine that now sheltered them, and the power of the wind barely stirred their cloaks. Sensmen's brows furrowed in concentration as she maintained the protective shield. Understanding the wisdom in the effort, while simultaneously fuming that such a feat was unknown to the way of Till, he nodded to Quiv. Soon the man was barking orders, and ten such domes were forming to encompass the Till teams. Flay would expend no effort in such a task, for it would fall to him to face the madman. He took the lead in the march to the home, sheltering in Quiv's protective dome, he noted that it was not as impermeable as those cast by the sensuals, and spatters of rain occasionally struck his head. No matter, it was just water. He handed his satchel of relics to his favored. 
A sensual had given her an oil cloak, he noted. Keep up, he said. Flay bent close to Dunquiv as they moved east. Did Thine refuse my command to send us the Pauline girls? Not outright. She merely stalled. Our man did not get a good look, but he was told by a novitiate that the entire home had been assembled to witness a shriving. Thine obviously knew she had a Merculin trying to hide her powers. I did not get word on which girl it was. She should have complied instantly. Quiv arched an eyebrow. But perhaps it is well that she did not. Flay took his meaning. If the Merculin girl Ebel's hated had come to the tower, the madman would have directed all his power to destroying her there. And then Flay himself, along with those who had survived his escape, would likely already be dead. The force of destiny was with them. What was it Roya Reth had prophesied? Soon it will tread upon fields of red. Reth was certainly dead, along with so many others. Flay hoped she rotted in some demonic hell for eternity for all the good she'd been to him. But now that you mention it, Dunquiv said softly, as if continuing a conversation Flay had not been paying attention to, if the girl is so powerful, perhaps we may have to confront her, too. Flay scoffed. A single girl would be of no consequence against Ebel's, nor would she be so much as a mosquito to him once he'd aggregated the combined powers of this army of Merculans. Thunder rumbled above, a stern warning of a yet greater storm to come.